How are we doing, mates? Welcome back to the Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland Smith, and I am super excited. Energy's through the roof because I just realized we're a week away from real baseball. 162 game season type baseball with fans in the seats. I mean, it's crazy that we're talking about this. I know it's only 9,000 fans in the seats up here in Seattle and wherever you're in across the country. But the fact that I'm getting excited about that is nuts. It just goes to show what we've all had to deal with the last year in 2020. But that seems like it's kind of in the rearview mirror and we're moving on playing some real baseball. Super excited. And the other reason I'm really excited too, Tom Murphy, one of my favorites, man. I love watching this guy play 2019. He got injured last year, had to deal with COVID. Last year was his time to shine too. I felt so bad for this guy. Coming into 2020, he had that job. There's no other catches in front of him. He was going to play every day, take on this pitching staff, and boom, COVID hits. He's 29 years old. He's been waiting a long time. What a journey he's had to get to this point. But it's 2021, he's healthy, his foot's feeling good, and all the rest of it. So we have such a good chat. We talked about the rule changes. We talked about last year, obviously, with the injury and everything else. But some of the stuff with the rule changes, he has a really, really good opinion. I love his, I agree with him on some of the things to do with the shifts, how he feels about robo-umps, pitch framing, how it's going to affect pitch framing, and everything in between. Hey, we haven't talked about the game now compared to the game back in the 80s and 90s. So if you're an older fan, and not that he was bashing the game back then, he actually said some good stuff about the game back then, but he talks about the difference in pitching. Anyway, I'll clear out and let you listen to that. Before I let you go, though, I want you to press pause. Have you pressed pause yet? Go subscribe. Go text this episode to your friends. Go leave me a review, a nice one, a nice review. Glowing review would be amazing. Anyway, guys, I'm going to clear out, let you enjoy this episode as Tom Murphy joins me right here on the top step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Face of Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. All right, Tom. Welcome, buddy. I, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, how's, how's, how's everything going? Because I got to ask, man... It was this. I was just thinking before you came on. It was around this time last year. You probably don't remember, but this is pre-COVID, right before it's about to hit. Everyone's like, "Ah, it's just it's not going to affect us. We're good." Oh, people wearing face masks over in this state. You know what I'm saying? It was that kind of vibe this time last year. I don't know if you remember, but I came and sat with you, and we, we just kind of started having a conversation. And I think I asked you, I said, "Hey, do you want to come on the podcast?" This is literally a year ago, and here we are. Like it's been a year. So I appreciate you coming on, dude. Yeah, no problem. And and to be honest with you, like I remember that like it was yesterday. It was it was some of the most like distinct days I've ever had in my life. I bet. How long yeah. after that? It was only a couple of weeks after that, then everything just got shut down, right? Yeah, you know we. Um, I, I remember very well. Like I said, I, we were in the we we're getting ready to play Kansas City, and we we're just literally stepping on the bus. And uh, Jerry calls us into the to the clubhouse. It's like, hey. It's, it's done you know like spring training is going to get shut down uh we're going to keep this facility open guys can train this is the best place to be you know and then literally three days later like the entire world felt like it shut down and so like you know our facility got shut down and we're just scrambling to make plans you know and 
at that time, you know, the, the lack of information about the virus was the, the scariest part, you know? Yeah. So I, I ended up getting a rental car and driving all the way back to upstate New York at that time, about three days later. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. So Ralph, so you just flat out said, uh, did you just get out of there because you were worried about the virus because no one really knew what this was or were you just like, you know what, if I got an opportunity to go home right now, because at that point, I don't know if Jerry was saying, was he like, Hey, look, we're just going to have a couple weeks off. And we're back at it. Or did he kind of give you some kind of forecast to say, Hey man, it's going to be a long time. What, what, what was his initial plan for you guys? We knew we were going to have some time off. Um, we didn't know how long it was going to be. That was the big question mark, obviously for everybody. Um, but at the same time, there was, there were so many, like so many variables that were being taken place there. And, you know, like I said, we didn't know the severity of the virus. We didn't know anything about it, really. And so, you know, initially I chose to stay because I wanted to train. You know, I wanted to be ready for the season. And, and like I said, three days later, like that even got shut down. Like nobody was allowed to stay. If you're not from Arizona, you got to go home. Right. And so, you know, again, not knowing much about the virus, I chose to just get in the rental and drive home and yeah. take a couple of days to do that as opposed to trying to get it on an airline. Right. Did you... When you were driving in that car, were you were you thinking to yourself, "Oh man, this is a bad idea," because I should stay close to the facility in case it opens back up? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely those conversations going inside my head, you know, and like that initial day when things got shut down, and uh, you know, I had that tough conversation with my wife, like, "Hey, I, I don't know what to do right now." You know, it was very confusing. Usually, I have kind of a clear idea of what I want to do. But like I said, there were so many uncontrollables there that you just really had no idea how to go about it. What was some of, if you can remember, what was some of the um, the things that were being said, like from player to player, like because you know how all of a sudden this these crazy, oh hey, you know, like not rumors but crazy like ideas of what this is. Were, were, were guys trying to just that because you like you said it was confusing, right? So guys must have been just trying to figure it out. Or, was there like a ton of like? conversations about oh no hey look we're shut down for the rest of the year or, or no this is oh, it's only going to be a week was there a lot of that going on those conversations came a little bit later when you know things the lockdown kind of got extended and you know things were taking longer than we expected <clears throat> you know i think i think i'd be lying if i said that a lot of players probably didn't believe that we we're going to play that year yeah. you know <clears throat> and um you know i i remember the initial conversation being that you know, Arizona was one of the safest places to be because the virus couldn't live in 75 degrees or more. I remember and, that. That's, <laughs> so like, that's what I'm talking know, about. Those look, conversations, the group, yeah. chat, the group chats, like, Oh no, dude, stay here because of the heat. You know, I heard that a bunch too, man. Like friends yeah. from Florida, they're like, Oh, I'm in Florida. We're good. You know, it's so crazy to think about that, you know, in retrospect, but uh, yeah, that's just those how ignorant we were at the time, I guess. <laughs> Man, I, I remember I was at the day it all happened when I, I got the, um, you know, I went on Twitter and found out baseball shut down. I was talking at this like Tacoma Athletic Club thing, like a lot, a lot of older people. And the, the thing that was going around with them, they're like, oh, hey, you know, obviously they're, they're an older demographic, so they're going to be wait, a little more careful. And one of the things the guy got up and spoke said, oh, yeah, hey, we've got this you know, nasty virus going around. Just make sure one thing you can do is try not to sneeze. Um, if you can hold your sneezes in like this. I'm sitting there. <laughs> and but at that point, I was like, oh, hey, it's, that's great advice. Like, this is yeah. go away. Walk out and boom, sure enough, the season shut down. I will, And I was, man, I was shattered, obviously. But I've said this a thousand times. You probably don't know this. But all through 2020, especially during the shutdown, I said the one guy at the top of the list who should be 
I don't want to bring this up and you know bring a bad vibe. And the one guy who should be the most shouted is Tom Murphy. And I've said that obviously, I said that locally, and I said that you know outside of Seattle as well. Because here you are, dude. You're getting a chance. First of all, 2019, you've proven your way into playing in an everyday basis. Everyone likes trying to you, as far as I know. I don't know that might be completely <laughs> false. Everyone's like, oh, Tom's behind the plate. And all of a sudden, you got an every you know an everyday spot. You're hitting bombs. You're doing cartwheels in the dugout. You've got a chance to to solidify yourself as like an established major league catcher. The Mariners don't go out and you know get some other catcher to, to fill in to come in for twenty for twenty twenty. So dude, I was I was feeling for you, dude, last year, man. And and this is pre injury too. I'm talking during the shutdown. So there must have been. Was that on your mind too? Were you thinking, man, this is I've finally got a chance to have a uh, have a home, established place. I'm I've figured something out in 2019. Here we are. Yeah, you know, and to be honest with you, that wasn't the first time that's happened to me. Um, right. You know, I, I always go back to 2016. Um, second half in AAA, I absolutely tore it up. It was probably the best I've ever played baseball and got to call up in September yeah. and just continued that and really proved myself in the big leagues that September. I think I hit five homers that, that September, Caldwell, blah, blah, blah. And, the, you know, I was with Colorado at the time and they really trusted me after that. You know, they that was my spot. And so going into the spring training of 2017, um, I'm in the same exact position I started out at 2020. This is your job. You know, like we're not hiring, we're not getting anybody, we're not bringing in a veteran, we're not doing any of that stuff because we trust you now. And, um, you know, I ended up breaking my wrist at spring training and I was out for like eight weeks um, with that and a cast before I could even do anything. So, um, you know, I really lost my opportunity there at a much younger age. And so, you know, that one hurt me a lot, obviously. And um, looking back on it, I realized how much it, you know, kind of hurt your progress in your career. I mean, you only get so many years in this game, you know. And then to, to have it happen again is, is definitely something that was super heartbreaking. Um, you know, more so, I think this offseason, I realized it more than even when it happened in the moment, you know. And I, it, in the moment, you're just kind of hoping you get healthy and everything's back to normal without surgery and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, w- when you really think about it and how much time I've lost in my career, it's it's – it's you know my least favorite part of my career for sure right so that might i mean that's got to make it tougher right when all of a sudden this covid stuff's out of control because the injuries you've had your foot what was it your was it your forearm or your wrist yeah i broke my wrist yeah. broke your wrist so that's not like it's not like you know an arm injury or like you know you're blowing your knee out or something like that these are other, like one's fouling the ball off your foot another one and you know i'm gonna you know, give this to the virus as well. I mean, I'm not that you had COVID, but all of a sudden baseball's just completely shut down at a time where you need it the most, right? So this second time, that must have been in the back of your mind. You must have been thinking, here we here we go again. It must have made it that much tougher, right? No doubt. And that's that's the worst part of it is that that mindset's very easy to get trapped into. And then you start feeling sorry for yourself and you know things kind of take a downhill turn from there. And sometimes it takes a lot for you to come out of those little holes that you get into. And it definitely happened for me this offseason. Hey, I noticed I went on your Instagram and uh, doing some trolling through your, your posts on uh, you're not super active on Twitter, but I went through your Instagram <laughs> before we jumped on. Um, and on Val- you wrote a little thing on Valentine's Day for your wife, basically saying, you know, were you talking about 2020 in that post? I don't know if you remember the post, but you basically wrote how how tough the year had been and everything else. And obviously that was 2020, right? So what were some of the things you were trying to say with that? Like as far as from a family's perspective, coming back from an injury, all those little things. Yeah. And, you know, I think a big part of that as well is that 
people don't understand the toll that baseball takes on a family. Yeah. And, you know, to think that, you know, my wife and other wives and, and kids and how much they have to sacrifice their own personal life for us to go out there and play every day yeah. it is ginormous. I mean, that, that can't be understood in any way. And that type of, you know, outside look inward to our lives is something that um, most people don't do. They just want to see all, of, all the glitz and glam of the game and, and that you're in Major League Baseball and that's the best thing in the world. But that's a huge toll on family. That's a huge toll on, on trying to bring my kids and my wife out from upstate New York, a little small rural town where we have everything we want and need and where our families are. And then, you know, making the way out to Seattle and just turn our world upside down and, and putting that all on my wife because, you know, we're not able to help with that process or anything like that. And, we go on road trips and there she is alone, no family, no nothing. And, and she's doing everything she can to keep things together. And, uh, you know, they deserve a lot of credit. My wife included in that. Do you have any kids do you have? I have two kids. And one's what, 10, like 10? Yep. My daughter Tessa is 10 and my son is Jace is two and a half. See, man. So they're old enough where, you know, school's involved. All of a sudden you go through a couple, you know, times where you get claimed or you get moved around, option, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden they're at that age too. I've got a six-year-old daughter, but people don't realize that, man. It's not like any other job where all of a sudden, boom, you're changing teams, spring training's in a completely different area. You don't know where you're going to be in two months. I mean, yep. it's it's brutal, man. Yeah, back when my son was born, I mean, I was I was up and down at AAA the entire time and he was born in July. And so, you know, I'm fighting for a spot in the big leagues, just trying to survive basically. And then at the same time, like dealing with a newborn at home and, you know, dealing with a wife that was having trouble sleep late in her pregnancy, trouble with late in her pregnancy uh, with some preeclampsia issues. And so it, it was just, I mean, it's, it's a lot to juggle. And I think people just want to see you as baseball player, but th there's a lot more that goes into what shows up in the field. Hey, when you broke your, when you broke your foot, fell on a ball off your foot, right? That was July last year. Where'd you go after that? So I stayed in the Seattle area for a little bit and bounced yeah. between Seattle and Tacoma, depending on when the team was home and away. Okay. And so I, I was doing constant rehab just every day, just kind of going to the field and doing that. And then about halfway through uh, the season, I ended up coming down to Arizona because we could only have so many people in the Seattle area that were associated with the team. Right. And so we needed an extra spot for another player. And so that meant, you know, I was kind of low man totem pole there, um, you know, being injured and not really doing anything. So they, they sent me down to Arizona to rehab for the rest of the year. Was the family with you then? Nope. They, they decided to stay home. Oh, so man. I was just uh, in a hotel room for, you know, about 90% of my day. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. <laughs> uh, I will say, I was going to ask you this though, but what's the injured Tom Murphy at home in the middle of summer like? I mean, you're probably, because I did, uh, again, but back to Instagram, I've seen your workout videos. I, I, and you take me to someone who obviously I know you're going to get after it regardless. Even if your foot's hurt, you probably, you know, do all just jump on, do, do some bench press. No, I'm kidding. I'm, you're doing some pretty uh, elaborate workouts, but it's even tougher. I'm not saying that anyone in baseball is lazy by any means, but there are some guys who they get that injury. And at least when I was playing, it's probably changed now. Maybe it has, but they just kind of Cadillac through that rehab. Like they're just like, Oh, I'm injured. Where other guys, it just does their head in dude. And I'm, I'm guessing for you, something like that, like a foot injury, for example, something that's just, it's not that it's small, but it's something that it's kind of minuscule in a sense that it's just that annoying thing where it just it limits so much when such a small thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think I can wrap my mind around injuries like that. Like that's the, the okay part. 
the hardest part as a player is showing up every day and having to answer the same question 5,000 times. How are you feeling? How is it going? (laughs) You know, and like, how are you feeling? I'm joking. I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Dealing with that for six weeks. And I understand that people's intentions are good for that. You know, like they care. That's why they ask. But at the same time, like it's the worst part as a player because you have to put your ego aside every single time and say, no, I'm not ready. Like it's a broken foot. You know, (laughs) you have to literally wait for it to heal. And, you know, that that's the biggest challenge for me personally, because, you know, I'm not a person that likes to admit that they're hurt. I'm not a person that likes to admit that they can't play. And those types of things that, you, you know, the more you have to answer them, the more that you just kind of get sucked into yourself and, and you know, kind of shut other people out because you just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know? Were you around Mitch Hanniger at all? Like last all, last year, like you, were you guys rehabbing together at all? No, actually, it, unfortunately, we weren't. I, I went over to his house for dinner one night, um, but that was, that was the only interaction we were really able to have. Right, because, you you know, watching you, watching him, it's one of these things, not out of sight, out of mind, but that's how it feels, man. Like, I had these times, I didn't have some major surgery where I was gone the whole year or anything like that, but, dude, it is so freaking hard, especially in a situation with COVID where you're limited, you can't be on the bench, can't be around people, and you've got, you're in an organization where, these young guys are just coming up and it's, you know, it's all about, you know, th- th- these young prospects and everything else. It can be so, it can play with your head so much. I mean, I could imagine, obviously Mitch Hanniger, here he is a guy coming off, you know, some amazing years making an all-star team and here he, and, and all of a sudden the, the, the organization has shifted since his, his time, you know, on, on the IL and you as well, all of a sudden you're sitting here putting your hand up like, Hey, you know, basically don't forget about me because that's what it feels like, right? When you, when you're injured and you just can't do anything. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, touching on Mitch, he, that guy's an absolute warrior. I mean, people don't understand where he, the journey he's been in the past year and a half and to think that he's going out and doing it and, and performing right now at a high level and, and looks, you know, as good, if not better than what he ever has is just a testament to his mindset. I mean, that guy has come from, probably one of the biggest challenges in the world coming back right now. And he deserves so much credit for what he's doing. Yeah. Now it, I'm so excited to see him back to him and you, obviously you as well, but you know, I, I just know how brutal it is. And then even I was talking about Austin Nola too last year and he got, he got a chance to get traded and, and, and move on and, and do his thing. But you and you and Austin Nola guys like that last year, I just could not imagine with that shutdown. And then you hurt your foot. It's just brutal. So I'm sure spring training for you, is spring tra- at the moment spring training does it feel way different is it frustrating in a sense obviously i know i know everyone's got to stay safe and everything else but is it frustrating because it's you just know it's not the same to be honest with you i think this has been the most enjoyable spring training i've had um really? and it comes from an area of the fact that i i like to work i, I don't like to have all these meetings i don't like any of the stuff We're that's talking not to people like me <laughs> no 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 you're good no, I, I enjoy this because it's it's real banter, but, you know, just kind of the things that kind of clutter up a day during spring yeah. training, um, those are gone because we can't have large assemblies. We can't have these, you know, people coming in telling us about certain things or whatever that just aren't related to getting better. And so, like, when I can, <laughs> when I can just show up to work and really focus on getting better at baseball, that's when I'm the absolute happiest. And that's what it's been. And it's been super enjoyable. And you're, you're, you're referring to some of the meetings, like the, the ones that are at like at 7 a.m. where it's, um, oh, what are some of the classics? I'm trying to think, like, like g- g- give, me, give me some examples. Cause I don't know if it's changed in the last 10 years. It's been a while since I've been in there. But what are some of the ones that you, you're talking about that clutter up the day? 
uh, you, you know, you get your vendors that come in with, you know, their gear and they're trying to sell it to you and they want to know about the catcher gear and stuff. Like I'm the least gear oriented person in the world. Like literally give me some like six and nails in my shoes and I'll call them cleats, you know, like the, that's yeah. good enough for me. And like, like I said, when my focus can just be on development, um, that's when it's like, all right, like I'm in my niche now and I, I don't really worry about the fluff. Dude, I, uh, it must be different now though, man, with all this new technology and like, you know, different gadgets, gizmos, like, especially on the analytics side, is there all that that, that gets just tidal waved into the locker room as well? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's become absurd, you know, like it's, there's just so much extra stuff that people don't need. And it's just like, you know, when you focus on like just the minuscule things, you really lose sight of the big picture. You know, you're missing the forest for the trees. Right? That's that's what it feels like. And so, unfortunately, I think the game has gotten too much of that. And uh, like I said, are we talking? Are we talking like having the sick gear, like having like customized cleat spikes and everything? Are we talking that? Yeah, I mean, like I don't, I know, I know how to spell my name. I don't need my glove. You know, like <laughs> those little things, like. I, I don't need everything personalized to the nth degree. Like yeah. if it's blue and matches my Jersey, sure. Let's roll with it. You know, like it feels good. I'm, I'm good to go. And the more you worry about those things, the, the less productive you're going to be in my Dude, it, it is insane these days, man. Obviously I'm not in the locker room anymore, but it is on another level. And so there's a bit of jealousy. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, Oh man, how cool is that? Like that, but you're right, man. Sometimes it gets over the top. And when you start, worrying about all this kind of stuff it can be distracting too especially if you're a guy too and you know you're beyond this point but if you're a guy who's like yeah and again the game's changed i'm sure you've noticed this too from your first time playing in the big leagues but i've noticed man like guys with a month or a couple months in the big leagues all of a sudden everything's customized all they're they're a brand all of a sudden right yeah absolutely it's (laughs) it's crazy and I, i like i said like Kudos to those that take advantage of making a brand and, and creating something for themselves, but I'm just not interested in that. Like I'm really not. And it does, it doesn't do anything for me as a person. And I think that's the biggest thing that I, I look back on. It's like, this game is going to be done someday. And I don't want to be the person that had to rely on all these things that yeah. made me feel better as a person. And that was my identity. That's, that's not who I want to be. Well, it's funny. I just looked on your Instagram. There's a hashtag saying, or oh, no, there's a big uh, quote says, doesn't matter if you win or lose how good you look. I just noticed on your, uh, your fourth <laughs> post. <now. laughs> I think I'm failing there. <laughs> hey, hey, speaking, speaking of, um, you know, things that can be distracting, did you, as a catcher, I want to talk to you about, you know, catching a couple different guys. And I want to talk to you about some of the new rules too in the minor leagues. I know it hasn't hit the big leagues yet, but I'm, I'm really interested to, to, to get your take on this stuff here in a minute. Did you ever have guys you caught, whether it's recently or in the past or they moved on to other teams, that when we're talking about analytics, they just get way too caught up in analytics and get away from just pitching? Yeah, I think you're starting to see that in the game quite a bit. I mean, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to kind of watch the games and see how much they've changed, right? Like, we're trying to do things uh, with some of the minor league rules that are, are making the game more interesting. But if you go back to the nineties and early two thousands, that's what they're trying to get back to. Yeah. And there's a lot less analytics. There's a lot less data there. Um, you know, there's more base running, you know, the game was a much more creative place, I think. And it was less about numbers and it was more about winning really. I mean, that's what it came down to and putting yourself in good positions to win. Um, and I, I do believe that we are getting a little bit far away from that right now. 
And you are you talking about from an individual standpoint or from overall from 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 a baseball standpoint? When when, when we're talking about and 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 this is there's a couple of ways to look at this. First of all, on the development side, like if you've got a pitch, let's say, let's say use an example, you've got your pitcher, he's 25 years old, comes in, he's got the iPad right behind him, a little track man, you know, whatever. And he's got some dude standing behind him, zap, throws a pitch, quickly turns around, looks at the iPad. Now, this is an extreme example, but you see that, right? I mean, I yes. see that. Guys, it's like, dude, just, and, and I'm not trying to sound old here whatsoever. And I love, like, don't get me wrong, I'm fascinated by like some of the analytics and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think it's amazing stuff. And it's like some, sometimes I think I wish I had that as opposed to some pitching coach or, or a catcher saying, Oh, Hey, you're, you're, you're dropping your hand off to the side, get on top of the ball. I'm like, how do you see that in real time? There's no yeah. Right. But on the flip side, there's, you know, something nice about having some feel as opposed to relying so heavily on worrying about, you know, what an iPad tells you, do you see sometimes when you've got a young pitcher, let's say a 25 year old or someone maybe older, and it could be it's frustrating for you because you're like, dude, just get away from that. Let's just learn how to pitch a little bit. Yeah. I think that touches on a couple of points really, right? Like all of a sudden you start worrying about outcome becomes all about outcome then. And you get completely distracted from the process of development really. So now everything you're chasing is numbers. You're chasing these stats. And when those aren't there, how do you feel as a person? That's how you're gauging yourself as a player. And so when you really use like outcome as your, your basis for your identity as a baseball player, it's, it becomes a super challenging game mentally. And so, you know, then all of a sudden you get on the mound and you have a game to worry about. And so there's much more to this game than just what the numbers are telling you about your pitches. You know, you, it's great that you can throw a you know, fastball with 3000 RPMs, but if you're one eight to the plate, like, a major league team is going to take advantage of you every single time, you know? And, yeah. and that's where I think the game has got out of balance. And I think, you know, I, I do believe that there is room for analytics. I do believe that stats and data are great, but at the same time, I think balance is the most important factor in all of this. Who's, who's the guy you've caught over the years, you know, in the big leagues, who's the least analytical, the guy's just like straight. Yeah. I could care less about that. Let me just go out and pitch. Mike Leak, that's the easy one for me. Uh, that's instant. Um, you know, he wanted no part of it. Talk about it. it. Just everything was based off of feel. Everything. I mean, he would, and it, it was very subtle, but depending on the pitch, like he would literally like be in his windup and then position his foot during his windup based on what pitch he wanted to throw right. and what location. And like that, that takes feel to a whole new level for me. Yeah. You know, like to, to have that type of, of, I mean, I, I hate to keep using the word, but feel in the game to be able to do that and to manipulate the ball the way you want and throw it wherever you want. It's like, that, that's incredible. You know, that's yeah. incredible. And that doesn't come from sitting there staring at a screen, you know, and worrying about outcome. Was there ever a pitching coach or someone or a catcher or teammates? And hey, man, did you realize that when you throw this pitch, you know, the, the RPMs are here and, and the, the vertical break is this, and he's just like, just I don't care. Like I mean, was there ever a time, or was, was there ever a time where, from a not a development standpoint, obviously he's an established major league player, but from an assistant standpoint, someone said, "Hey man, if you look at this, this pitch is is a better pitch in this count as opposed." Did anyone ever try and like bring that into him at all? Um, I'm sure, um, probably <laughs> before I had gotten there. Yeah, and um, really, those types of conversations were were just weren't had with him. Yeah, you know, like he, he was very adamant that that wasn't a part of who he was as a player. 
and people respected that. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, everybody knew that when Mike Leake was out there, he's out there to compete. So that's really what mattered from a team teammates standpoint, you know? Yeah. Is it, obviously he's an established player. If, if you're a young pitcher coming up and if you're a Mike Leake, who's 22 years old coming up to the big leagues and you're good, obviously you're, you know, and you just say, Hey, I want no part of that from a development standpoint. Is that going to make it tougher for you as a player? You think? I, I think there's probably some organizations that would make that a little bit tougher for the player that, you know, you can, you kind of get labeled as a player that's not willing to listen, you know, like yeah. those are real things. Those are things that people experience in the game. And it's unfortunate because, you know, like I said, everybody's different. Um, everybody's out there, you know, believing in what they want to believe. Like it's hard for me to, suggest that everybody does the same thing because not everything's going to work for everyone, you know, and like looking at those numbers and trying to improve might, might, you know, make you very self-conscious, might make you, you know, more fear-based and give you anxiety. Like right. that's not good for a player, regardless of whether or not that they're actually improving the pitch or not. So I think it takes a lot of awareness on the player's end to realize when too much is too much and when you need more. Yeah, yeah. Hey, switching gears here, I want to ask you something that gets thrown out there on with all these <clears throat> Twitter, like, you know, catching gurus and everyone, everyone on Twitter. I need to ask you, man, you're a major league catcher. All right, catching on one knee. What do you got on that? I think it's fantastic. I think yeah. it's very advantageous for um, freeing up your receiving hand. I think it's very advantageous for getting balls in the bottom of the zone. Um, you know, blocking um some guys block better out of it some guys throw better out of it so really again it's it's about awareness of you as a catcher and a player to you know first try it like i, I believe everybody should try different things yeah that's a great thing but at the same time like realizing whether or not it's going to advance your game is an important thing as well so it, it it's easier to block you you feel like for for certain guys for certain guys most definitely i mean you look at like uh, guys that struggle with some hip mobility issues or whatever um you know, getting down a little bit lower to the ground where, you know, some guys feel like they actually have to like jump up to come down to the ground because their hips aren't, you know, mobile enough to, to really just kind of just go down. Right. And so I think it really helps guys that are in that situation. Do you, are you on one knee? I'm trying to, I'm... so no runners on, I, I do a lot of different things. Um, no runners on base. I'm, I'm always on a knee. Um, okay. When a runner gets on base, I actually have a few different stances that I use. One is like, virtually a knee on the ground but not quite it's it's hard to explain um it allows me to be more mobile laterally than just if i had a knee on the ground gotcha okay when did that come into you know in, into fashion catching on one knee who, who brought that in like how long ago was that because i feel like lately it's this big debate now as far as throwing throwing runners out and everything else yeah um you know if you really want to get like to the origins of it you can go back to tony pena yeah. i mean he was guy that literally started that i mean he sat on a knee with no runners on base and i mean you can go down the line from there i mean, I, I think he probably deserves some of the credit for that type of catching and you know maybe i know i don't know if somebody who else has done that before him but he's the first one that comes to mind i know organizationally we are pretty high up there in terms of getting guys on board to do it in the game and to do it with runners on base i, I know we are pretty much at the forefront of that Hey, um, you mentioned something about freeing your hand up and, and you know pitch framing. You do a really good job of it. What about these new rules that are coming into you know, the minor leagues? And, and usually, not saying that it's going to happen in a year, next year, whatever. Some of these new rules that, that you know, they're, they're, whether they're trying to speed the game up or whatever they're trying to do, you know, the, the bigger bases and stuff like that. 
What's your take? First of all, robo arms, that's basically going to take out pitch framing, right? Yep. So is that something, I mean, do you think, do you think about that as far as from a catching standpoint, how much that would change catching? I have a very strong opinion about that. And I think it's one of the worst things possible for the game. Really? Why is that? Selfishly as a catcher, it takes the entire nuance of catching out of the game. Yeah. The reason why everybody's not a catcher is because it's extremely difficult and there's an extreme amount of variables that go into every facet of catching. And so when you take that away, you just diminish the value of that position. And I think the value of that position can't be overstated enough, or overstated enough. And, you know, with the robo ump, it's just, it's going to become like, just don't let the ball get by you and get in a position to throw your best to second base. Like, whoa, like anybody can do that for the most part, you know, and not everybody can be back there and receive the ball well every single pitch. Like the amount of focus it takes to, to play the game pitch by pitch as a catcher is insane when you're truly committed to making every pitch look like a strike, blocking every ball in the dirt and throwing out every runner and also calling a game on top of that and managing emotions with your pitcher. Like it's such a strategic position. And when you bring in the robo up, it totally takes, I, I would say the majority of that away. And, and visually it looks great, man. When it catches back there and they're able to frame or, or like, you know, get out of that ball and, you know, and stick that pitch. It makes you know, from a visual standpoint, watching the game on TV, if I've just got some, you know, dude back there, just like a, not a hockey goalie, but just basically like squatting down just to catch the receiver ball and toss it back. It's going to look brutal. Seriously. Like not that, not that you're going to have some, just some clutch back there, just you know, doing this, but it's not going to be the same. There's no way. Right. Not even close. I mean, it's, it's going to, like I said, you're going to see some very interesting things happen with that. You're going to see different styles, different techniques, I wouldn't be surprised if you literally see catchers like catching the ball like this, as if they were like turning a double play for runners out. It, it's it's going to be insane, and like I said, it's I don't think it's a healthy thing for the sport. Hey, um, oh man, there's so many things I want to I want to go with from that. But behind the plate, do you feel like umpires do a do a pretty good job calling balls and strikes from a human standpoint as it is right now? I mean, honestly, those guys deserve credit. Uh, and I think a lot of players would probably disagree, but when you're back there with them and understanding what goes into making those calls and the fact that they average success rates probably around 90% for umpires in terms of getting strikes right and balls right, that's pretty That's pretty good. I mean, like yeah. eight out yeah. of 10, nine out of 10 pitches that they're getting. And, you know, to think that I have a, like a small factor in that is, is exciting to me. Yeah. You know, like that's an exciting part of the game. But 90% success rate in a game that is full of failure, that is full of like different variables, like I said, is a pretty, pretty high standard. What, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you too with that, you mentioned being back there with them. What, what kind of conversations are you have with an umpire? People ask me this all the time. Hey, what's the, what's the catcher always talking to the umpire? And obviously there's the, there's the obvious things, but you have to develop, develop that relationship, right? Like it's important to be back there not that you're trying to squeeze another call out of him or butter him up or anything like that. But you, I mean, you guys are back there three hours, basically in a squat next to each other. Is, is that something, is that like a, you know, is there, is there, is there an art form to that? Having that relationship with an umpire? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it goes back to your, your people skills, your ability to communicate and, and having some feel, you know, um, and, and the conversations vary very widely. I mean, I, th I think back to just a few days ago, I, I found common ground with it with a fellow hunter who was an umpire who was working at home plate. And we, 
I mean, we literally talked about hunting the whole game. It was crazy, you know? So it was pretty cool. Like, you know, I value those conversations as well. It's not like, I'm just like, he's against me and like, I'm trying to be his enemy or, you know, his friend or whatever. Um, I just, you know, I've always held the standard of myself with umpires to be extremely honest. If I believe something is right, I will tell them. If I believe something is wrong, I will tell them. And I think that's, that's the best form of communication that I've had with them. Um, You know, and, and some umpires are very open to you, like, kind of challenging them in a way you know but that takes some feel and that takes getting to know them as a person to start with you ever had a situation where you've gotten into with an umpire in like the second inning and it's just the rest of the game's just been super awkward squeeze you a little bit no doubt i mean it happens you know that that's a part of the game as well um we both feel that you know there's no doubt about it um but at the same time i think we're both competitors i think umpires are competitors as well the good ones at least yeah, that's dude, everything you're saying, man. It's I'm thinking more and more about it. It's taken away that human element of baseball. Like, you know, whether it be robo arms, not that there's going to be some robot behind there, obviously, but just taking away the first of all, the, you mentioned the nuance of the game, you know, pitch framing. It, it's like you said, it's an art form. And just having that umpire, having that conversation with an just Baseball needs that human element, I think, for people to latch back onto it, like any other sport, man. You have to have – and I feel like with, when you look at some of these new rules, like I, I don't mind the pitch clock, to be honest with you. I can live with that. Like, yeah. you know you know what? W- watching guys with runners on base walk around the mound, do this whole thing, it's like, come on, let's go, dude. Like, let's yeah. have some rhythm about you, right? But then, like, you know, you're talking about, like, you know, the, 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 the shit. What, what, what's your take on the shit? This is a big one for me. What's your take on the shifts, limiting the shifts and stuff like that? And do you guys do you guys have conversations about this in a major league clubhouse when you see these minor league rule changes? Yeah, I mean, the plenty of conversations being taking place about that, and there's you know number of different opinions about it. You know, the shift to me is just a strategic part of the game. Like, it's, you know, like the ability to manipulate the ball, I think, is harder than ever as a hitter. Like, there's no question about it. For the general fan that watched the game in the 80s and the 90s, and they're like, oh, well, you know, those guys could just, you know, hit the ball the other way every time they wanted. Well, we're not facing 85, 88 mile an hour sinker ballers anymore. Like, this is an extremely, extremely challenging thing to do is to manipulate the ball as a hitter, let alone like be aware of the strike zone, be aware of, you know, what pitch is coming, blah, 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 the situation. And so the shift is just something that is kind of like, it's, it's giving the game a little edge, you know, it's giving the, the strategy of the game a little bit more. And like, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. Like that has nothing to do with pace of play. In my opinion, that has nothing to do with whether fans are going to watch the game or not. It's literally about winning at that point. Yeah. And I think when you manipulate the game to where, you know, you're taking away wins from teams that are strategically playing better. I think that's a bad thing. Yeah. I really do. No, I hundred percent agree with that. Like limiting, strategy is all is never going to be a good thing you know and then all of a sudden then there's going to be some work around that somehow that comes into play is the bunt ever going to come back you mentioned you know like manipulating the ball but like is that ever a conversation saying hey there's going to be these situations now where we are going to learn how to bunt we are going to bunt the ball down that big gaping hole at third base you think or is that's never just never going to come back I could see it coming back a little bit more than where it is now. Yeah. Like I said, I think we've gotten too far. You know, we, we've swayed too far from like that part of the game as well. And, and I think the game will kind of balance itself out naturally with that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I got to agree with you. I feel like some dude's going to go off in the playoffs. I feel like anything that happens kind of in the playoffs the year prior, all of a sudden people sort of latch onto that and say, Oh, Hey, 
that's something that could work for us. Some some dude goes off who can bunt, run a little bit, steal a bag or something like that. Have, have add some value to like that smaller pack of games that really count. You know, um, hey, speak. You mentioned something too in the you know in the eighties guys from eighty six, eighty eight, and he, there's going to be older older guys watching this. Go, oh, we threw a hundred. You know, we threw harder than you guys or whatever. But I, I'm with you, dude. Even back, you know, when I was pitching, there's, you know, dude, I, I don't even know if I would have even gotten out of double A at this point, you know, with, with my skill set. The, the game has changed so much. Has, in the last five years, even, in that smaller, smaller, you know, smaller sample size, have pitches gotten that much tougher to hit? No question about it. I mean, it's, it's irrefutable at this point in my mind. Um, not only are they getting harder to hit, but their strategy is getting better as well. Right. You know, there, there's no more anecdotal stuff with ba- with pitching, especially, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's very objective. It's, it's, you know, and I spoke earlier about getting too far that way. And I believe that that is a possibility as well, but at the same time, they've elevated their game to a level that nobody's ever seen before. And you can't compare decades now anymore. Like, it's just, it's, it's insane how much yeah. more, quality you're getting out there on the mound every time that they're out there and tougher to catch no doubt i mean it, there's some guys where it's like you know i wonder how they're hittable because they're that tough to even catch you know and, and that's that's a real feeling in today's game wow that's yeah i mean and again don't get me wrong there was the dudes back in the day i totally get it yeah nothing like you see now man like oh, man with just how late some of those sliders are breaking and how much they're breaking everything else Take me to the next point. Okay, Marco Gonzalez, right? You've had a chance to catch him. He's at his peak. He's always, and I get it every day. We get a breakdown, you know, before we jump on air and stuff like that. We, we get a breakdown of like the, the you know, the, the uh, slowest fastballs in the game, hardest fastballs. Bottom. He's always in the bottom five fastballs, right? Yeah. So tell me about him, man. Well, how does, why is Marco the complete exception? And, and just, just on that too, it drives me nuts because on, especially on a national level too, there's always that element of doubt. Like at some point, the league's going to catch up to him. It's like, well, they haven't. So yeah. what's so different about him? You, you're talking about these guys who are just pumping, you know, throwing a hundred with these nasty sliders. He's the complete opposite. What is it about Marco that makes him? I know this is a pretty broad question. There's probably a thousand things, but why is he that unhittable in a sense? Well, to put it in somebody else's words, he's very boring. And as a hitter, that's <laughs> extremely, extremely hard to wrap your mind around. Like it's extremely hard, you know, like you are not going to get the pitch that you're looking for from him. You're not going to get a pitch for a center cut. Like, yeah. That he is extremely skilled when it comes to that. And that's what makes Marco Marco. Like he does, he can do the same thing over and over again because he executes his pitches so well. And it's so impressive to catch. And, you know, like, you know, I, I kind of bashed, you know, the 80s, 90s uh, baseball. And, you know, guys are saying, well, you know, Marco can do it wise. So why yeah. can't everybody, you know, <laughs> command the ball like him? Well, you know, when I first came into the league, um, you know, and really my first experience with pro ball, you know, guys didn't have the stuff that they do even today. That was almost 10 years ago, you know? And so even back then, you weren't getting a bunch of Marcos still. You were getting guys with less stuff that commanded the ball the same way that guys with more stuff are commanding today. And so the ability that Marco has to command isn't because that he throws less velocity and has, like, he is just that skilled. Yeah. And when you have somebody that is that skilled, that is truly special every time that he's on the mound, regardless of what they have. What about, and you're talking about command, you talked about stuff way better. What about command though? Do you feel like command has slipped a little bit? Is it not as important 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, that's uh, also irrefutable point. Like, you know, the, the rise of stuff has definitely decreased the level right. of command or the need for command. Really. I think that's yeah. more of where it the comes down. Okay. Yeah. Diff- yeah. That's a yeah, different way to look at it. Yeah. Interesting, man. I, I just, I mean, I look at him and I have to, I've, not, not that I don't get it. Like I totally understand. I mean, I understand why he's good. It's just, it's so amazing, man. Like when, you know, from, and not, not in Seattle, but other places with, with Marco, it's like every time and not that this is the Marco Gonzalez podcast or anything like that, but every time that like, you know, there's a question mark about something, Oh, it's not going to last, not going to last. He just rings a bell. You know what I'm saying? Like, or he has something in his back pocket to add to what he's already doing. I think in 2019, you know, the, the oh, Kenny lasts the whole year. He's going to run out of gas. He did that last year. And sure enough, he just plowed right through that month of August. You know, it's, yeah. it's super cool. Does he have a big impact on younger pitchers? Incredible. I mean, I, I look at him as the leader, you know, and I, I don't mean to say this is he's just the leader of the pitchers because he is 100% leader of the clubhouse as well. But the fact that he's had such success in this game and keeps doing the, the, same things over and he's so routine oriented. I mean, when it's a Marco start day, you know exactly what you're getting and you know exactly where you're getting from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to sleep. And that type of routine is what really makes him special. In my yeah. opinion, that provides the consistency that you can trust over long term. You know, if, if, yeah. if he didn't have that, then yes, I would be agreeing with people saying, Hey, eventually he's going to blow up. The game's going to, you know, come back and bite him in the butt, you know, but with how precise he is with his routine and the way he goes about his business. I don't see that happening because of that. And that's, that's, that's the difference maker when it comes to guys that have less velocity is that they're so routine oriented. They know exactly who they are as a person. And, and Marco struggles with that almost the start of every spring training. And most people probably don't know that about him is that like he comes in thinking that he might be a little bit better than he was the year before, might try to do something a little bit differently. And then usually by his second or third live BPs, like, why don't I just like be me, you know, like yeah, yeah. it's, it's very challenging as a player to understand that. And, yeah. you know, he does that very quickly, thankfully, because, you know, if you take that into the season is trying to be more than what he usually is, then it's, it's going to go in the opposite direction for him. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and you mentioned him being a leader in that clubhouse. You guys have an interesting dynamic with, because it's all about, not all about, but last couple of years, especially, you know, obviously 2020 well, with COVID, there's a big emphasis on some, on these prospects about, you know, the rebuilding and everything. And these guys coming up, you still feel like, and from your first days in the big leagues, is there still that element of respect for the older guys still, even like whether I know spring training is a little bit different during the season. I just know that when I first came up, it's like you sit in your locker, you don't touch that remote control. You wait till everyone eats before you, before you even sniff the kitchen. Right. Yeah. You still have that with, with the Mariners? Is there still an element like the, the Seagers and, and, and you and, and Mark and guys like that? Is there still that veteran presence in a good way? Or yeah. either way you want to look at it? So I, I probably have a little bit different opinion than most people about this, to be honest with you. Um, I think about my first time in the big leagues as being very similar to yours, like just walking on eggshells yeah. the whole day. Like you don't want to get in anybody's way. You don't want to miss up anybody's routine. You it want it wasn't just, a bad. It wasn't a bad thing though, because you had to earn it, right? Like, you, anyway, right. Like, so yeah, it, it, it comes from respect, and I think that's a good thing, you know. And I, yeah. I think that's a powerful thing as a young player is to show respect, and that's how you gain respect. You know, that's that's a two way street there, in my opinion. But at the same time, I understand the anxiety that comes with that. I understand yeah. um, the type of 
adjustment that takes when you get to the big leagues is feeling, you know, you're not the big fish in the small pond anymore. You are just another one of those fish trying to try to survive. Yeah. And so I think, I think that's a good thing that that's been dialed back just a little bit. And I think yeah. that's something that is powerful for young players. And that's something that I try to encourage with young players. And I, I never want them to feel like they are separated from the team. Once they yeah. enter that clubhouse, I want them to feel like they're fully immersed because that's how it's going to help the team win. That's going to make my career better. It's going to make their career better. And when I can do that, it's just, it makes everything more valuable. And it, that's, that's my idea. And I, I think some people that are kind of old school might disagree with that. And, right. you know, but I, I just, I prefer to have my teammates be cohesive than feel like there's veterans and there's youth. Did you, was there anyone particularly like you sort of took on your wing or you noticed who walked in the first day and they're like kind of, you know, walking on eggshells or they're anxious and you're like, Hey man. And all of a sudden you built that relationship with them. Yeah, no doubt. I, I try to share as, as much of my experience as possible with guys, because like I said, I, I want them to feel like they don't have to live in and play this game with anxiety because you know, you're in the big leagues. This should be the most fun possible, right? Like everybody's yeah. coming true. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like that always, you know, it, sometimes it feels very much so like the world's crashing down on you and you're, you're just overwhelmed. And to think that teammates can kind of like push that feeling even deeper is not something I think is bad for, <laughs> yeah. for anyone, you know? Yeah. When you got there, there was dudes who went out of their way to make sure Richie Sexton, I don't know if you remember Richie Sexton. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> man, he, it was like, if I saw him walking around, I was like, here we go. Like, well, what is it? What do you got? You know? And just waited for it. But at the end of the year, I just kept my mouth shut, man. The first couple yeah. months I was in the big leagues, didn't say a word. At the end of the year, after like, you know, the whole, we used to do the, you know, the dress up. I don't even know if they're doing that anymore. I'm not, I can't remember if they're doing that. But we did that. And then like, he pulled me aside and said, hey, man, the only reason I get on you is because, you know, you're a good kid, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that makes me feel pretty good. And then he's like, ripped me to shred two, shreds two days later about something <laughs> In the game, like I, 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 you know, gave it up and, you know, he's ripping me about, I'm like, dude, really? Like, you know, um, it, it, real quick on that, anyone specific that has come in that you've helped out? Do you remember? Um, you know, I try to reach out to a pretty broad spectrum, right? So, I, you know, I'm kind of that bridge between position players and pitchers. So okay. I, I have my hand in a lot of different pots when right. it comes to that. Um, you know, nobody I would say that I could point out that's like, I don't ever feel like what I say is career changing, but I think offering experience to young guys is something that could be helpful. And I know I always appreciate it when I was younger. Right. Hey, Logan Gilbert, he, pretty legit. You getting a chance to catch him. Uh, he's going to, he's going to be a very special player. And even on off the field mentally, like what, one of those guys that gets it, like, you know what I'm saying? Like he, he, he does all the other things off the mound as well. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I spoke about Marco's routine and that's what makes him special. Um, and that's exactly what's going to make Logan special as well. And that's what, you know, when you look at starting pitchers and how crisp they are with those types of things, um, that's usually a pretty good indicator of what you're going to get out of that player. And to think that he has that with the stuff that he has, um, it makes for a very special combination. That's great. That's, that's good news. Yeah. Not that you're going to be sitting here going, oh, no, off the field. He just, he doesn't, <laughs> never in the weight room. Yeah. But no, that's, um, I've heard nothing but good things. But, um, Tom, I've kept you for too long, man. I know you got a game. You got a you got a night game, so you know. I mean, you could literally sit here for three hours, but I don't want to keep you. You got things to do. I'm going to get back to following your Instagram account, the workout videos. I've got one written down. 
they're good, man. I'm looking at them going, oh, I need to follow these. I'm lost, man. I, I'm, I'm done playing. And all of a sudden, I'm just hitting the gym, doing the most generic rubbish <laughs> you can do as a Planet Fitness up the street here. Like, oh, dude, it's, yeah, it's embarrassing. I go early, in the, like super early in the morning before my, my daughter gets up and goes to school. But um, I'm just sitting there going, because I was flicking through, I was sitting there working out and I'm like, oh, boom, there's the Tom Murphy workout videos. I'm like, oh, this is <laughs> shameful right now. So anyway, but Tom, this has been fun, mate. And um, hopefully we can do this in person. Again, nothing against Zoom. Zoom's great. But you know, I just I need to, I need to be around people, man. This is this has gone on way too long, that's for sure. But this has been fun, man. Thank you so much for, for joining me. I appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks, man. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that episode of The Top Step. Hey, do me a favor. If you're loving these conversations as much as I love having them, make sure you spread the word. Share it on your on your Instagram. Post it on your Twitter. I will reply to you. I'll share it to my story. I'll retweet your post. Tell your friends about the podcast. And if you have anyone you want me to reach out to to have a chat, whether it's a player, someone, whoever, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll get on it for sure. But hey, I appreciate you listening. Appreciate you joining me. And I will catch you next week right here on The Top Step. Say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them.